0: Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) I mean, that last song's got me going. That was incredible. My heart is pumping. Uh, Marin and band and everybody in choir, thank you. That was incredible. Merry Christmas. All right, so we're about to get into a message here, and it's all about waiting. That's the topic, waiting. And so before we get into scripture, what I want to do is ask the kids for a bit of help. So I've got a question for you guys just to get us thinking about this topic of waiting. Kids, what is one thing that you have had to wait for for a really long time in your life? Something that you've had to wait for? Shout it out. What what have you had to wait for? Christmas. That was a really good one. Very topical. What else, kids? Uh, what, have you, what have you had to wait for for a really long time? What was that? An RC car? Yeah, me too. That, that would be so cool. Man, I hope your waiting. It doesn't have to be too long on that one. Uh, anybody else? What else have you guys had to wait for? I heard something super. I heard a dog. What was the super thing? Super Mario? Yeah, great. I think we're kind of getting the theme of gifts here and Christmas. I was kind of thinking like, for dad to come home from his business trip or for, you know, whatever. But it's okay. It's all right. What else have you guys had to wait for? Video games. Okay, I think I know where we're going here. New Year's Eve? That's a good one. That is a great one. All right. We get the idea. This is awesome. We all know what it's like to wait for something with eager anticipation. Yeah, we're still going. I couldn't hear that. Something about the tree or the treat? Halloween. For Halloween. is going to be a while. All right. All right. So here's, here's why I'm asking about this. I wanted us to think about waiting because there's a good kind of waiting, which is that sort of eager anticipation, like, ooh, something good is going to happen. But kids, I've got bad news. When you grow up, there's another kind of waiting that happens in your life. And it's the kind of waiting that everybody experiences. Waiting where you're waiting for, for a job or you're waiting for your body to heal or, or for, for you to be reconciled with somebody when there's a broken relationship, right? These are the kinds of, of waiting that, that, that aren't fun, that aren't, uh, they're not exciting, they're hard, they're difficult. It's kind of a part of the human condition. In fact, it's been a part, waiting has been a part of the human condition all the way back into the time of the Bible. When the Bible was written, the people who, who we're going to look at today, they had been waiting, get this, for 500 years for something to come true. The Israelites, at the the time when Jesus was born, had been waiting for five centuries for God to fulfill his promise. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at two of these waiting Israelites who also happened to be very elderly. And so they'd been waiting not just a long time as a people, but individually they'd been waiting for many, many decades for God's a promise to come true. That's what we're going to look at today. So, let me give you just a little bit of context or some background to the kind of waiting the Israelites were doing. If you read scripture at the very beginning, you see that God makes a promise to his people. He promises that through them, he is going to heal the world, right? All the brokenness of the world and the sin and the injustice and all the bad stuff, he's going to heal it through his people, the Israelites. Except as time went on, it sure didn't really seem like that promise was going to come true. Uh, For one thing, Israel, the people of God, were constantly under the thumb of these these foreign empires like Babylon and Greece and Rome. It was like, it was always one empire after another that kept them down. And then for another thing, if you came into Israel itself— Within the nation, within the people of God, things were really bad. Like there was sin and injustice and violence and hatred and oppression everywhere you looked. These were the people of God who were supposed to be the ones healing the world. And instead, they were making it even worse. So it seemed as time went on and century after century went on that maybe God's promise was just never going to come true. And yet there were some who stayed faithful and waited, knowing that someday God would send a savior. So we're going to look at two of those people like I said. So let's uh, open up our Bibles and we're going to look at two elderly Israelites whose world was about to change. Luke 2, uh, Luke 2 verse uh, 25 is where we're going to start. It is going to be page 851 in the house Bibles and the seats in front of you if you want to follow along there uh, or if you want to use your own Bible or an online Bible or if you're watching at home or whatever. I can't help you with page numbers. You'll just have to figure it out. There is an index at the front of the Bible if you don't know where Luke is and it'll point you in the right direction. So let me pray for us, and then we are going to read about what happened just a few days after baby Jesus was born. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this incredible opportunity for us to worship you and to celebrate what you've done. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for, for entering into our story in such a, a rich and profound way. I pray, Father, that as we, as we look at your word and listen to this story, that you would, you would help me as I'm preaching to just disappear. And allow your Holy Spirit to remain so that every one of us, you know, old or young or whatever life stage we are in, that we would hear your voice clearly and hear exactly what you have for us today. I pray this all in the name of Jesus, the one whose birth we're celebrating today. Amen. Amen. So let's jump right in. I'm going to show you the first of these two people that were waiting for a really long time. His name is Simeon, and it's Luke 2, starting in verse 25. Here we go. At that time, this is right after Jesus was born. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. Okay, so this is Simeon. Now, Luke does not tell us exactly how old Simeon is or was, um, but it's pretty fair to say that he's probably pretty old because there's some hints in there like he, he's kind of at the end of his life. He's obviously been waiting for a really long time. So I like to think of him as probably 80-something, maybe 90-something. I don't know. So I've been doing some thinking about Simeon and the life that he would have lived if he was 80 years old, and what would he have been experiencing in his world? And I thought, wow, when he was about 20, if he was 80 at this moment, when he was about 20, that's when Rome showed up. The big, bad Romans showed up and invaded Jerusalem and and knocked down the walls and conquered Jerusalem. And actually, this this Roman general, Pompey, or who called himself Pompey the Great, of course, uh, he is kind of like the Darth Vader of the time. And he basically walked right into the Holy of Holies in the temple, right when Simeon was 20. Imagine being in your 20s and watching. It was like his version of 9-11. Like this was a horrific event where where from that moment until now, Uh, Israel had been under the thumb of Rome. The the jackbooted Roman soldiers, the stormtroopers, were walking through the streets of Jerusalem. It was tough. It was tough. And so he's now maybe 80. That was when he was 20. He had been waiting for decades and decades and decades, wondering, God, what are you doing? When are you going to deliver Israel? When are you going to bring salvation? Now, Simeon was given a very unique promise by God. Uh, Luke tells us that God had promised him that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. So he was going to see with his own eyes God's salvation coming to Israel. Now, why would God promise that to Simeon? Well, I think Luke makes it clear by describing him in verse 25 as someone who was righteous and devout and eagerly waiting for the Messiah. In other words, Simeon, in a a nation, like I said, that was completely full of sin and full of injustice and violence and evil and all that stuff, Simeon wasn't having any of it. His neighbors, the other people in Israel, were doing whatever was right in their own eyes, but not Simeon. He was righteous. He followed the word of the Lord. And so for that reason, he was given a gift of being able to see the Messiah before he died. And yet he had to wait. So let's talk a bit about what that waiting would have looked like for Simeon. I'll give you a, a, my, my opinion right out of the gate. I don't think that waiting was a passive kind of waiting. I think Simeon was, was waiting actively. And what I think that me, meant for him was that he was, was rehearsing and memorizing and thinking about the words that had been promised from Israel's prophets like 500 years before. Words like these. Words like, uh, this is what the Lord says. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good. Be righteous, in other words. For I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. Those are the words that Simeon's holding on to. Or words like these. When that happens, when that happens, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people, everybody, will see it together. Or or these words where God is speaking to the Messiah in, in, in Isaiah. You... You will do more to than just restore the people of Israel to me. No, I will make you a light to the Gentiles, right? To the Romans, to everybody, to the, everybody in the world. And you will bring my salvation, where? To the ends of the earth. These prophecies would have been stitched, I think, into the fabric of Simeon's heart. These were the, the prophecies that kept him going. Do what is good and just because I am coming soon. He lived like the Messiah was on the way. He was righteous and devout. And so when God's Spirit tells him to go to the temple and and he gets there right as Mary and Joseph arrive, you think that's a coincidence? I don't. He shows up right when they're getting there. He knows immediately what he's seeing. He sees this baby and it clicks. This is the moment. This is the Messiah that he's been waiting for, which is why... Which is why, when he sees baby Jesus, immediately he starts speaking words of his own prophecy, which, which, frankly, echo exactly those prophecies that we just read from the Old Testament. Here's what he says. Look at verse um, verse 28. Simeon took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, "Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you've promised. I have seen your salvation." which you have prepared for who? For all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Hmm. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Whoa, that is a rather intense thing to say to a mom of an eight-day-old baby. A sword is going to pierce your very soul. Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, That's kind of intense. Now, we're not going to talk about that particular line because it's kind of a downer. We'll get into that another time. Actually, it just so happens that... Uh, in February, on uh, February 25th, I'm actually going to be doing a whole sermon about that line, about the whole sword piercing the soul thing, because I'm doing a whole sermon about Mary as the mother of Jesus. So I don't know, if you're interested, mark your calendars like you're thinking about February 25th. But hey, come back and we'll talk about swords piercing souls. It's going to be great. But okay, but what we're talking about here is what Simeon says to Mary and Joseph right before that. When he says this this odd thing about, because of this baby, many in Israel will fall, And many will rise. What is he talking about there? Well, I think what he's talking about is that in a nation like Israel, which, as I've described, is full of injustice, full of pain, full of oppression, full of sin, in a nation like that, when the Messiah shows up, he's gonna make things right which is really good news if you're, if you're oppressed, right? Because the Messiah is going to lift up the poor and the downtrodden. That's what he does. But he's also gonna knock down those who are the oppressors, the corrupt, the powerful. It's this rebalancing act that happens. In Jesus's kingdom, in Jesus's kingdom, it is the last and the lost and the least who are first. It's self-giving love that holds true power. Not the kind of power that Rome wields. It's not the power at the end of a sword. In other words, in a world filled with sin, not everybody's gonna want what this Savior is here to bring, at least not at first. But Simeon does. Simeon does because it is exactly what he has been waiting for, what he's been living for, for his whole life. He knows that the Savior is gonna finally make things right. Which is why he says, now let your servant die in peace, for I have seen your salvation. The birth of Jesus brought hope that the world was about to change. The light of God's glory had finally begun to shine.
1: Tonight we mark our fourth week of Advent. Advent is the season leading up to to Christmas that has been celebrated by Christians around the world for centuries. Advent comes from a word that means arrival. And in these weeks preceding Christmas, we remember the anticipation and longing of those waiting for the Messiah, the Savior to appear, even as we wait for the time when he will return to finish the work he began at his first coming, when he will make all things new. Each week during Advent, we light a candle to represent one of the attributes of Jesus' arrival brought to the world. To this point, we've lit candles to recognize hope and faith and joy. Tonight, we light the candle of peace. The prophet Isaiah declared the Messiah to be born would be the Prince of Peace. And Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus prophesied, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. This peace would be a personal dimension in that every human being could now be reconciled to God through the savior, but it would also have an interpersonal dimension promising ultimate healing of all conflicts among people groups. As we remember that night in Bethlehem over 2000 years ago, we recognize that in that very place and in so many other parts of the world, peace seems like an impossible dream. But tonight we light the candle of peace, believing that one day, the kingdom of peace that Jesus inaugurated at his first coming will be fully realized when he returns. For God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. A
2: reading, a reading from the fifth chapter of Micah. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace.
1: A reading from the second chapter of Matthew. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him.
0: So, salvation had come to Israel. The light of God's glory had finally begun to dawn. The Messiah had come to make things right. But let's be real for a second. I mean, here at Grace, we we go there, right? We ask the hard questions. And so I've got a hard question that I kind of want to ask right now. Did anything really change on Christmas morning? Did anything really change? I mean, our world is still broken, right? There's still hatred and and pain. The poor are still downtrodden by the rich. Rome is not around anymore, but there's plenty of other human empires that are, are wreaking havoc in our world. The world's still broken, so did anything really change? What are we supposed to do with that? I mean, we just read a whole bunch of Old Testament prophecies that supposedly came true on Christmas morning so, why is our world still so broken, and what are we supposed to do in the midst of that? Well, this is a question that we've been wrestling with all month here at Grace. We've been talking about a, a biblical reality that says that we are living in a time of, well, it's a, a dualistic time. Here's what, what I mean we are living now in both the now and the not yet. The now, and the not yet. Those are both true at once. So let me try to explain what I mean. When I say the now, I'm referring to the fact that, actually, yes, when Jesus was born, things did fundamentally change with reality. Jesus, for example, kicked off a kingdom of justice and mercy and life that has been transforming our world ever since. 2,000 years of transformation have been happening because of what he kicked off. Another thing he kicked off, his death and his resurrection fundamentally changed our relationship with God. He made it possible for every single one of us to have our sin, our past mistakes, all of it just wiped away, right? It literally does not matter who you are or what you've done. You can be made right with God, full stop. That's, that is the now because of what Jesus did. But not just that, no, he also Uh, He gave us his spirit. We we have the spirit of Christ within us, and he's transforming us, changing us into new people, the kinds of people who can actually participate in the healing of this broken world in his name. That's now. That's that's the reality that we live in. And so, yes, I would say things did fundamentally change because of Christmas morning. They changed with the birth of Jesus. We live in a post-Christmas world. We live in the now, but we also live in the not yet, in the not yet. Someday, someday, sin and death and and injustice and pain and all the rest of it won't even be an option anymore, right? It'll be completely out of the picture, done away with, but not yet. Someday, Christ's kingdom of justice and mercy, that kingdom will be all-encompassing but not yet. God's new creation has been spilling into our world for 2,000 years, but it is not yet fully here. We live in the now, and we live in the not yet. Our waiting is at an end, even as we long for what's to come. Again, I talked about waiting earlier. You you have experienced that waiting. I've experienced that waiting. We all are longing for a world that is not just filled with pain. We're waiting, we're waiting. And yet, if you've said yes to follow Christ, you know the transformation that's possible even now, even in the waiting. But I want us to take a few more moments and just wrestle with this, this concept of the not yet. How do we do this? How do we live in in the not yet of of this world that's still so broken? How do we follow Jesus in a world still filled with sin and death and pain? Well, to answer that question, I want to take a look at the second character that I mentioned, the elderly Israelite, who who is in the next few verses of Luke chapter 2. And her name's Anna. And I think her very brief little cameo, her story gives us some intriguing ideas to ponder as we think about this question. So let's meet Anna. Here we go. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84 She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So that's Anna, three verses. I want to take a second and talk about her age, uh, because here Luke says, or the translation that we just read says that she was 84 years old. But it's actually interesting. The Greek uh, in this passage is a little bit unclear, and so there's a couple different options. But e- even if she was 84, that's really old, right? Not, not so much today, but in the ancient world, if you were 84, you were an extremely, extremely lucky person right that means that you made it through uh, infant mortality and disease and all the things that could have killed you and you, to live that long it's like kids you know how when somebody today could you imagine someone today who was born in the 1900s crazy old right you know what i'm talking about um, i meant what i said you know, it's a little joke all right 1900s ancient so 84 is possible that she was that old it's also possible though that the greek actually says that she lived for 84 years as a widow, which means that she was 84 years a widow after having uh, been married and having been a, a young woman. So she's potentially 105 years old. Anna is potentially ancient. Even by today's standards, that's a really, really old person. So, okay, enough about that. I just wanted you to get the, to get the idea that Luke is really honing in on the fact that she is very, very old. Why does that matter? Well, it matters Because what Luke wants us to see is that this is a woman who has dedicated her entire life. And for an 84 or 105-year-old woman, that means decade after decade after decade after decade dedicated to waiting for the Messiah. Luke says that she was at the temple every day, praying and fasting and eagerly waiting. That's the life that she chose to live. So just like Simeon, She's an example of a righteous Israelite that was not falling into the traps of so many others in her time. And then one day, this righteous elderly woman, she sees this moment. She sees Simeon blessing this young family with a baby, and it clicks. Maybe the spirit gave a little nudge to her, but she knew what she was seeing. She saw baby Jesus, and she understood that her waiting had come to an end. Okay, so again, what does Anna have to do with us? What does this brief little story about this elderly widow in Israel tell us about our own life living in the now and the not yet? Well, it does it in, her story does it in two ways, in two ways. First, I, I think her story gives us a really interesting thing to ponder about the now. Okay, what, what happens when Anna first sees baby Jesus? What does Luke tell us that she does the moment she sees the Messiah? Well, she talks. She talks about the child to anyone who will listen. She talked and talked. She told people the good news. The Savior has been born. Go tell it on a mountain. That was what Anna was doing. The moment she recognized that her world had changed, she wanted everybody to know. And guys, in the now of Jesus's life and death and resurrection and the hope that he brings in the now, that's our job as well. It is our job to be spreaders of the good news, not just with our words, but with our actions, telling others about what is now possible in this world. We are followers of Christ, right? We're forgiven of our past. We're being transformed into world healers. Why would we want to keep that message of good news to ourselves? There's another way to live. It's possible. In our words and in our actions. We, as Christ followers, can tell our broken world that things have changed. Things have changed. That's what Anna does. The moment she realizes her world has changed, the moment she meets Jesus, she starts telling people the good news. We can do the same thing in the now because the Savior has come. But what about the not yet? What do we do in the the not yet, in the waiting that we are all still currently doing? As I said, we're all waiting for God's mission to be fully complete. I mean, yes, things have changed, but they're not all the way changed. So how do we live in the not yet? Well, I think we've already gotten our answer by looking at the life of Simeon and Anna. Both of them, the way that they waited. Because remember, all they had was the not yet. They didn't have the now. They just had the not yet. So how did they wait? Well, Simeon was a righteous man. As I said before, he refused to give in to corruption and to to give in to sin and to give in to lust and greed and and injustice and all the other stuff that everybody else was giving into. He refused. He lived a righteous life year after year after year, even in the face of incredible temptation. Anna, as we just said, dedicated herself to prayer and fasting and prayer and fasting and prayer for years. That's how she lived. She spent every day as close as she could get to the center of the temple where God's presence was hottest. She was there every day. That's how she waited. My point is this. For neither Simeon or Anna was there waiting, just twiddling their thumbs Neither one of them just sat on their hands and said, man, I hope the Savior comes along someday. No, their waiting was active. It was anticipatory. Their waiting was, was, was about devotion to the promises of God. Every day was their opportunity to live as if the Messiah was on the way. Remember that prophecy from Isaiah? This is what the Lord says. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good, for I am coming soon to rescue you. To me, that verse right there, that is the key to waiting in the not yet. Do what is right and good, for I am coming soon. Although we now can add, do what is right and good, for I am already here. Here's what it makes me wonder. What if, in the waiting, what if our faith in Christ was not just some thing that we believe once and then we sit around and wait for the afterlife? What if our faith was like Simeon's or Anna's, was active, anticipatory? What if we each lived our lives as if, as if new creation was on the way? Better yet, what if we lived every day as if new creation was already spilling into our world, that we could actually tap into it and help spread it and help bring healing now? What if we lived that way? Life and justice and joy and healing and forgiveness and grace. If that was the way that we lived, we could show our friends and neighbors that this is not just a future hope, but a present possibility that's what changed because Jesus came. Yes, new creation is coming and we wait. But we don't have to wait to show our world what it looks like. We live in the not yet. But because of the birth of Jesus on Christmas morning, we also live in the now. And in both cases, we can choose to live an active life of faith. Our God has come to fulfill His promises to this broken world. He's come, He's here. It's happening all around us, even as we speak. The question is, are you going to live like that's true? Let's pray. Well, Father, we are in awe, as always, with the fact that you would choose to step into our story. It boggles the mind that you would love us so much that you would willingly send your son not just to live here, but to die and to rise again for us. God, it's incredible, and yet it's what you've done. And so, Father, yes, we can be discouraged by the waiting. We can be discouraged by the not yet. And yes, we long for what is to come. But Father, let us not forget the fact that you have changed this world and you are currently changing this world and you are working through us to do it. Father, would you remind us, especially right now, especially in this deepest, darkest winter that we're in right now, would you remind us that your light is shining in this dark world and that we are not in the darkness anymore. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.